calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. You are listening to episode 10 of Full Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 18, Nial System, 2352, July 20. Morning watch three days after transition, I sat back in my seat on the bridge and took a deep breath. It felt like the first one I'd had since leaving Betris Orbital, My calendar said I had nine days until the next exams, but the opportunity to study for extra ratings was limited to my off hours. Between building the AO box, waiting hip-deep in data logs, and then working through the time display, the first three weeks of the voyage had disappeared like they'd been sucked into the deep dark. For the previous ten days, I'd been crawling through the virtual ship on my hands and knees, actually in some cases literally, as Mr. Von Nichols had me tracking data runs to see how the physical components worked to form the web of information we used to keep the lowest safe, moving, and on course. He also had me doing the routine data management tasks like backing up the systems and rotating log files. The systems were amazing. I never thought I really knew a lot about computers and networks and the like, but when I tried to talk to other people like Pip or even Brill, they'd glaze over faster than when Francis started talking about charged particles. Something he was doing more of lately as Mr. Kelly, Mr. Maxwell, and the captain tapped his knowledge of astrophysics to try to explain what had happened to the ship. It was the big puzzle, and all the officers and most of the engineering section were trying to figure it out. I looked around the bridge and saw Mr. Von Nichols was just finishing up his end-of-watch log entry in preparation to turn over the watch to Mr. Maxwell. It was coming up on noon, and I was, frankly, starving. I stood up and stretched, shaking out my legs and arching my back to get some of the kinks out. I'd been sitting in one place, so absorbed in the system's work that I'd hardly moved, yet I'd stand up soaked in sweat like I'd run five kilometers. It was like I was taking one of those tests that Mr. Von Nichols teased me about. In the zone, he called it. While I was waiting for the watch change to finish up, I walked to the front of the bridge and looked out the forward port. The bright spot that had been dead ahead when we jumped in had already shifted a bit as we came around to be lined up on the place where Nile would be when we got there, in something under four weeks. Some of those spots out there were planets and some were stars. I wasn't a good enough astronomer to tell them apart yet. Behind me, I heard Mr. Maxwell say, I relieve you, Mr. Von Nichols, I have the watch. All around the bridge, the rest of the first section was relaying the same message to their respective counterparts at Helm, Astrogation, and Engineering. I smiled at Bev, who was looking much better than she had at Betris, and she flashed me a warm smile in return as she went through her settling-in routine on the helm. Mr. Von Nichols was waiting for me at the ladder, and I hurried to join him as my stomach gave a growl to remind me how long it had been since I'd eaten. It was trying to say January from the sound. Even Mr. Von Nichols heard it, and he laughed. "'You're not eating enough, Ish?' 
Well, it doesn't seem possible that I'm hungry all the time just from sitting there, but I seem to be burning calories somewhere. I'll see about getting you a water-cooled helmet, he joked. Keep your brain from melting. He peeled off at officer country to go wash up in his stateroom while I continued on to deck berthing. I really was awash with sweat and wanted to at least sluice off my face and hands before eating, hungry as I was. I was later than the crowd getting to the mess deck as a result. That worked in my favor because it meant the line was short and I could load up without feeling guilty about not leaving enough for the people in line behind me. Today's menu included a nice steamed fish with a spicy red sauce, rice, and some banapods. Sarah and Pip always had a smile for me, but I couldn't remember the last time I'd had a sit-down with Pip. Things have been so busy in the last month that we hadn't even really had a chance to pick up a trade cargo in Betris, despite having been there for almost nine full days. Sarah still looked like she fit in the galley, but Pip looked less and less right every time I saw him. The downside of being late to lunch was finding a place to sit. I lucked out and spotted an empty seat beside Brill and made a beeline for it. C.C. wasn't there, so he must have had the watch. The seat was still warm, so I'd probably just missed him. Hi, I said as I plopped down. What's wrong? I asked when nobody answered. Diane said, guess. Hmm. One letter repeated? I asked. They all nodded glumly. Brill said, give us some good news. Do you know if we can fire him? I shrugged. I haven't heard yet, but there should be some information waiting for us in Nile when we pick up the beacon. Francis asked, what's the word on the electrical failures? Well, other than it wasn't the EMP, that charged particle field, that blew out the systems, nobody has any more idea now than when we were sitting at Betris Orbital. Less, really, because then we thought we knew how and why. Now we know what in monstrous detail, but we have no idea on why or even how. Brill said, it's driving Fred Kelly crazy. The power team is tearing the ship apart trying to solve it. Diane asked, so you're adjusting to life on the bridge? I laughed. As much as can be expected, I suppose. I'm not sure why I'm up there to tell you the truth. I could work anywhere there's a console. Francis said, Mr. Von Nichols is too smart to let you float around loose. He wants to keep you where he can see you. We all laughed at that. I'm actually glad to be there. It's not like I have a lot of interaction with the gang on watch up there, but Mr. Von Nichols keeps me on my toes. I suspect it might be pretty nasty if I were back on the auxiliary bridge all the time. A lot like being down in environmental, huh? Diane teased me. I chuckled a little at that. Well, not quite that bad, I said. You sludge monkey, she said and grinned. We all fell quiet then. I was eating and they were all picking at the remains of lunch. Nobody was in any hurry to get up. So what's with Cece? I asked quietly. Brill said, same old tricks. We've called him on not doing maintenance, but logging that it was done, so now he's back to not doing it. I've written him up, I've docked his pay, everything short of taking him by the hand, or ear, Diane broke in. Brill chuckled, or ear, and dragging him to do the work. I'm at my wit's end. I can't punish him any more than I have, other than to put him ashore. He seems totally impervious to any threat or disciplinary action. We can't flog him, she shrugged. Even Mr. Kelly doesn't know what to do with him. Do we need to find a spanner? I asked quietly. Brill snorted. You know, when you said that back on Betris, I thought you were way off base, but having tried to deal with this chucklehead for the last month, I'm a lot closer to dropping him out of lock than I ever thought I could be. Well, I'll go back and see what I can uncover, I said. We all drifted our separate ways after lunch. Diane would have to relieve C.C., and Brill wanted to keep an eye on him. Francis and I headed to birthing. I was sure I'd see him later in the afternoon in the gym. I headed from my bunk with my tablet and started reviewing the cargoman and messman exams again. I hadn't really given them a lot of attention, but after a couple of stands, I was back in the groove. I dropped a calendar note to Mr. Von Nichols to reserve a seat for my last two full-share exams at the end of the month. The chrono said 1500, so I had three stands before I had to get back on watch. I set my tablet to wake me at 1630 and laid back on my bunk to grab some sleep while I could. I'd get in a run in a sauna before watch, and then we'd see what happened there. 
When I headed up the ladder to the bridge at 1745, I think that was the first time since Betris that I didn't have a list of tasks waiting for me. I was feeling loose and alert from my run and sauna and almost relaxed. I sat down at the console and started running through the system inventories. Status was good, no backups were scheduled, and the log file rollover would happen automatically after midnight. I just needed to snag them in the morning and burn them to cubes for archive. I found myself looking at the time-delayed graphics showing the cascade of sparks starting in the stern, running in a stream to the bow, and then cascading back again. I just couldn't get it out of my head that there was something there, and I wasn't seeing it. Mr. Von Nichols saw the display and came over to look over my shoulder. Maddening, isn't it? he asked. Yes, sir, it is, I told him. I'm missing something. I, I just don't know what I'm missing. Well, if you knew, then it wouldn't be missing, would it? He asked with a grin. Speaking of maddening, I said, without turning my head, our friend and environmental is being resistant to efforts to modify his behavior to something approaching adequate. I'd heard that, he said. There's a lot of discussion in various places, but so far nobody's got any ideas. We're still weeks from getting the orbital beacon, so all we can do is keep an eye on him. There wasn't anything in the medical records, I asked. Nothing damning, he replied. Blunt trauma to the back of the head. Well, he's not responding to any of the normal disciplinary techniques. Are there any abnormal techniques you can think of? I asked. Nothing that won't get us fired. He may be immune, although we haven't established that yet, Mr. Von Nichols observed. But we're not. Well, I know one crewman who can't be fired, I said. Besides our friend, he asked. Who? Lois, I said. He stood there silently, mulling that over for a couple of ticks while we were watching the looping graphic. How does that help us, he asked. I don't know, but if normal methods won't work, maybe we need to try magic. Mr. Wong, you may be more devious than even Mr. Maxwell, he said. Why, thank you, Mr. Farnicles. I'll take that as a compliment. It is, Mr. Wong, it is, he sighed. Now, if you can use your magic to figure out what caused that, he said, pointing to the cycling display, I'll believe you're more devious than the captain. Why would that be devious, sir? Because every attempt at straight logical explanation has failed, he said. It has to be something either heinously difficult or pathetically simple. Well, when it comes to simple, sir, I'm your man, I assured him. He snorted. You are many things, Mr. Wong, but simple is hardly one of them. He clapped me on the shoulder then and went back to astrogation to check our position. Lois, I thought to myself, what are you playing at? Chapter 19. Nile System, 2352, July 30. We were still over two weeks out of Nile when the next round of exams came up. Mr. Von Nichols was teasing me unmercifully for the whole week prior, but on the mid-watch before my steward exam, he offered to let me have some time to study. I didn't need it, so I went back to working through the system's inventories and thinking about the system failure. It was a mystery, and I kept thinking of some detective guy Mom kept talking about. Hemlock something. He had a phrase he supposedly used on tough cases, something like, when you've ruled out the probable, then the improbable, no matter how impossible, is the only solution left. Something like that. I remembered reading the stories, but honestly, I preferred Shakespeare. He had more sex. Hemlock had just this guy Watson and a violin, and his disguises. I remembered one story when he even disguised himself as a woman. Well, Shakespeare did that a lot, too, and I suddenly knew how we were going to make an impression on Mr. Charles Colby. I spent the rest of the watch making notes on my tablet. As we were heading down the ladder from the bridge, Mr. Von Nichols asked, Last minute studying? Uh, breakthrough on one of the two problems, I said. Do I want to know, he asked. If you don't mind, sir, I think I'd prefer to give you the opportunity to deny any knowledge. I appreciate that, Mr. Wong, he said with a smile, and now that we've established that you've refused to tell me your plans, perhaps you might fill me in on some of the details I'm not supposed to know. Oh, very wise, sir. It would be unfortunate for you to reveal them by accident. I filled him in on the basic structure, and he actually offered some enhancements that I wouldn't have considered. In the end, he said, you may well be the single most dangerously disturbed individual I've ever met, Mr. Wong. It's an honor to know you. 
Well, thank you, Mr. Von Nichols. I do try. And may I say, sorry, you're no slouch yourself. Oh, you're very welcome, Ish. And may I add how pleased I am to have you on my watch? Because of my skill in native wits, sir. Uh, no, Mr. Huang. It's because I feel the sudden need to keep you under close observation. Thank you again, sir. Oh, you're most welcome, Mr. Huang. Carry on. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. I'll uh, see you in the office after breakfast, sir. I turned off to the mess deck then and managed to get Brill aside. I'm ready to kill him myself, she said, without preamble. Well, if you do that, you'll have to stand his watch, I said. She laughed. It would be worth it. At least I'd know he's not going to poison his ship. Are you willing to try magic? I asked. I'm willing to try anything, she said. Magic? In a way, I told her. I'll explain more later, and we have a lot of homework to do to set this up. We only get one shot, so it has to be good. You have that look in your eye, Ishmael, she said with a grin. I think I'm going to like it. Okay, but the hard part is going to be backing off on him, I said. Well, you can't expect me to ignore him, she objected. Oh, I didn't say ignore him. Just give him enough rope. I outlined the plan quickly, and her face went from frown to disbelief to amusement. Okay, she said, but if this doesn't work, can I kill him? If this doesn't work, I said more seriously, we may need to. But let's save that for last resort. Death is usually so final. I gobbled my way through two plates of scrambled eggs and sausage with four biscuits and three cups of coffee. It was delicious, and I began to feel maybe things were beginning to come together. Trust Lois, I thought, and laughed out loud. Biddy Murphy and Ron Shaw were at the table with me, and they looked at me with a bit of concern. Oh, midwatch. Sorry, I said. Just a little punchy this morning. They nodded sympathetically, and I excused myself to go take my messman exam. I was the only person taking any steward exams that day, not surprisingly, so Mr. Von Nichols met me at the office at 0715, and by 8.30 it was done, and he just shook his head in amazement. You're slipping, though, Mr. Huang, he said. You only got a 92 on that one. Well, I'm distracted this morning, sir, and tired after a long night of plotting. Oh, I understand that perfectly well, Mr. Wong. I'll see you on the bridge this afternoon. Try to get some sleep. Oh, you too, sir, and uh, thanks. You're welcome, Ish. See you in a bit. My brain was boiling over with ideas, so I wasn't sure I was going to be able to sleep for about 45 seconds. I was glad I set my tablet to wake me in time for a run and sauna before watch. As I was running, I cast about for the right accomplice. It had to be somebody just right. Somebody with just the right tone. Somebody who could make CC believe. And I knew exactly who it should be. The afternoon watch went quickly as I spent it laying out the groundwork for my own little magic show. The systems console gave me access to all the pieces I needed, and Mr. Von Nichols even showed me some tricks that I wouldn't have thought of. He had his own brand of sneaky that I was coming to admire greatly. Charles would have the evening watch and then be off for 24. When he came back on duty, life was going to become very interesting for Mr. Charles Colby. We got off watch and I headed for supper. Going through the mess line, I saw Pip and Sarah. Hey, Pip. Hi, Sarah. I said, you're just the people I want to see. I've got a little favor to ask. Anything-ish, Pip said. Sarah just nodded. I'll be back after mess. I need some help with a little project. They shrugged and looked puzzled, but I had to move along to keep from blocking the mess line. Brill had Diane and Francis sitting off to the side, and I went to join them. Okay, I said. I got the systems work done today. I think we have our voice talent lined up. We can test it tomorrow while he's off. All I'm missing is the guest of honor, but we have a few days to find her. We've got almost two weeks before we pull into Nile, and if we can't do it in that amount of time, it won't happen at all. Francis said, I made sure he knows about the puka. He was familiar with the concept already, but I made a joke about seeing her walking the passages in the middle of the night. I grinned. Excellent. We have to be careful to play it loose. His warped brain will do the rest. Diane, I said to her, you're going to be playing the receptive ear on the back side of the watch. It's up to you to keep him off balance. It's going to be hard because he's going to be suspicious that it's a setup, and we have to convince him that... We think she doesn't exist. Brill touched me on the arm to get my attention and leaned close to my ear. 
Ish, she said. Lois doesn't exist. Perfect, I said with a grin. You could almost convince me. They looked at each other then with the same little worried look on their faces. I just laughed and finished my dinner. If you'll excuse me, I need to go write up some scripts for tonight's recording. By 20.30 I had all I needed in terms of all the various ideas I could think of, and I headed to the galley. Pip and Sarah were sweeping and swabbing the galley down, and I checked the mess deck to make sure we wouldn't be overheard. Okay, guys, we have a little problem and I need some help, I said. I grabbed a broom and helped them sweep while I explained the situation with C.C. So we've tried everything and nothing is working. I think Lois wants us to help him understand what danger he's in and what danger he's putting the ship in by failing to perform his duties in the required manner. Pip says, okay, you know your... Yeah, 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 I know. The point is, we need to help Lois by giving her a voice to tell him how much he's hurting her. We finished sweeping by then and Sarah was standing with her arms folded tightly under her breasts. You want me to be Lois's voice, she said. Yes, I told her. You have the power, and Lois has helped you already. It's time for you to help the next person in line. You're a shaman. Healing is your specialty, and we need to heal Charles. Pip was looking at me like I'd lost what few marbles he'd credited me with, but I didn't care. Sarah had the voice, and she believed that she was a shaman and that the ship had helped her. She would be able to sell it like nobody else aboard, but I needed her to believe it. Sarah, on the other hand, was looking carefully at my face. I'm not sure what she was looking for, but I made myself as open as I could to her. You want to scare him, she said at last. I want him to understand that he's hurting Lois. We've tried other ways, and now I want Lois to tell him directly. Why not ask Lois to tell him then, she asked me. Why have me pretend to be Lois? Because I don't think he can hear her like you and I do, I told her. I can't do it because he wouldn't believe a man's voice. You want me to speak for Lois? Yes, I want you to be Lois's voice. Tell him how he hurts her so he can hear it for himself. What do you want me to do? Pip asked. Keep watch. I don't want to be caught making the recordings. He grinned. You're serious. I nodded. I've already rigged the speakers in environmental, and tomorrow Francis and I are going to mount a few more with some special communications controllers in them. By the time he comes back on the mid-watch tomorrow night, environmental will be wired for sound. Where do you want to record? He asked. Here in the galley, where I can get a little reverb. Right now? Pip asked. Are you ready, Sarah? I asked her. Yes, she said simply. Pip headed out to the passage to keep an eye open, and I settled down with Sarah, my tablet, and we proceeded to record Lois's pain for about a half a stand before Pip gave us the high sign and we stopped recording. Sean Grishin came into the galley, got a cup of coffee and a cookie, and he left. Sarah said, that's enough for now. Are you okay with this, I asked her. I'll delete it now if you're not. Oh, she smiled. It will be fine. Thank you. She turned then and walked off the mess deck. Pip stood there, shaking his head. She's still a little on. Pip, I said. What? he asked. We all are. He considered that for a moment before nodding in agreement, and then his face broke into a grin. I wish I could be a fly on that wall. We both chuckled. Come on, I said. I heard there's a gym on this ship. Let's go check it out. He slugged me on the arm. You are never going to let me forget that, are you? I grinned and said, Never. Thanks for listening to Full Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Music is from the Fox Hunters, an Irish slip jig originally recorded in 1984 by James Curran and available on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 2.5 license. For website and more information on the golden age, visit www.durandus.org golden.